Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR executive and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So we have another guest today, Bridget Corridan, who made a brief appearance on our episode on vulnerability. I think that was our third episode. And we had a handful of voices sharing their thoughts on vulnerability. So we are really looking forward to having a more in-depth conversation about Bridget's perfectly imperfect journey. And I'm so happy to have Bridget here. Uh, Bridget is not only an amazing sort of soul and beautiful, bright, shiny light, but she's also a really, really good friend. So Bridget and I met, wow, Bridget, what was it like six years ago, five years ago? I think so. Yeah. Five or six years ago. I haven't talked about this on the podcast before, but in something that I call, or we call collectively a divinity circle, which is a group of women. And we just get together once a month and we share what's happening in our lives and we support each other. And then we get a little woo woo and we chant to the goddesses and and whatever it takes in order to sort of do our support for each other. And, and I just remember the first time I met Bridget and she's just such an amazing amount of energy and just so fun to be around. I just, just love Bridget so much, so much that we ended up working together at Turn It In. And that was really fun to have her as a colleague. And now I've left. So we're back to being just soul sisters in our divinity circle, which is amazing. Bridget has a really great story about her life and how she's gotten to where she is now, and I'm not going to do it any justice. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Bridget. I'd love for you just to talk us through your journey a little bit, who you are and and what it's looked like, and you know, just tell us a little bit about what you're all about. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on this podcast, and you almost made me cry. I felt like all the love coming through the Zoom meeting. So thank you. Wait, Um, does that mean, Bridget, that I did not almost make you cry? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sherry, by the end, maybe you can do that. All right. I'm going to have to try Um, a little harder. (laughs) (laughs) When I was thinking about talking about my story and I've told my story a lot, I think there's so much power in sharing of your story. I talked about that a little bit on the podcast when we spoke about vulnerability. When I thought about sharing it with you on this podcast, what came through was really this focus on my heart And so I'm going to tell you my story through that lens. So when I look at my heart's journey, when I was a little girl, um, I grew up in Bakersfield, California. I loved swimming and running and dancing and singing. And I was free. I remember loving doing somersaults all around my house, which I don't know why I loved it, but I loved it. And there's just this freedom and wildness to how I lived, right? I sang whenever I wanted to sing, much to my sister's chagrin. I danced whenever I wanted to dance, right? I was alive and big and free. And then as I grew up, I think this happens a lot. We start to look around us as we start to become less these like free little children, we start to take what the world shows us and start to add these things on. Well, I guess I should be showing up like this. And I guess I should be showing up like this. And I guess I should be showing up like this. And you start creating, in essence, these walls around your freedom. And it was at the age of 12, where I had gone into seventh grade. So obviously a time where you're just kind of navigating a lot anyways, hormones, friends, all of that. I entered the talent show. And I did what I always do. I sang and I got up there and I sang this song. And I remember when I got off that stage, I was like, 
what have I done? Oh my God. Oh no. I can never do that again because here I was, I was feeling so vulnerable. It was the first time that I had to kind of bump up against these new walls that I'd put into my life while doing this thing that was so free. And it terrified me to the point where I was like, I, I can't do that again. I need to, I need to hide that, that I just didn't have a toolbox to be that vulnerable at the age of 12 to navigate that. Do you think, was there something that happened that shut you down or was it more just like it was a self-inflicted wound? It was pretty much just standing on stage looking at all my peers (laughs) and realizing they can now hate how I sound. Mm. They can judge me. I can not be cool, right? All this stuff you care about when you're 12, 13 years old, like how do I fit in? How do I mold? How do I change myself to be this version that everybody will love? And my, in that moment decision was, this is too vulnerable. I don't want to put myself out for judgment in this way. So I'm going to shut this down. And now I still loved singing. So I'd sing in choirs. I even found that I pulled away from individual sports, like swimming. I started doing more team sports because I think there was this fear of failure. There was this fear of putting myself out there to be judged as the person who had failed, whether that was singing badly or you know, not swimming fast enough, what have you. Sort of like the bright shining light just on you as opposed to like on a team or in a group or something. Okay. Yeah. Well, and also easier for me to hide. Yeah. Easier for yeah. me to hide my full responsibility. And so there were a lot of incredible things that came with, with team sports. And I learned a lot. You learn a lot about failure. I'm watching my boys in it right now and overcoming things and not being able to control things. So I learned a lot, but I really directed a lot of my energy into academics and sports. I was good at both. I felt like I could control both. And so I just headed down that path, just being good at those things. And then I quit playing volleyball, which was a huge part of kind of my identity at that point. And I had to take this kind of drive and competitive spirit and put it into something else. And so I kind of moved into academics continually, but then as I graduated, moved into my career. Okay, how am I going to be the best at my career? How am I? I was in a sales environment when I first got out of college. And it was great because I had the similar kind of sports aspect to it. We could be like, okay, I got to hit this number. I got to go here. I have to be successful. And I remember there was a moment, probably I'd been working for like two years and I got home from work and I made myself some dinner and I had a glass of wine. And I was like, is this what grownups do? Like, I remember thinking, is this it? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Like, is this what you do after college? You just work and then you make dinner and drink wine. <laughs> it felt like I was following this path that it seemed like was the path you're supposed to be on. I'm, I'm adulting then, now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I guess I'm an adult. Is this what adults do? And I found myself kind of on this journey trying to figure out like, is this the job I really want to do? Is this the job I really want to do? And I, I stayed within recruiting funny enough because I can help other people get jobs, but I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do and where I might go. And so this experience led me, you know, kind of through my twenties, driving towards success in kind of the traditional ways. And then at the age of 33, I became a mom and that shook my foundation in a way. I I always wanted to be a mom. So it wasn't like it was a surprise. I wanted to do it. I jumped in. Um, I love kids. I had a lot of experience babysitting and et cetera, but 
I had started probably about three years before down like a deeper spiritual path because I was feeling, I wasn't feeling super fulfilled. And I was like, what else am I missing? Like, where's the pieces that I'm missing in this? And when I had my son, my first son, this realization of what am I going to teach him? Like, ultimately, in my own process, I realized that the bulk of the things I learned were by what was modeled for me rather than what was said to me. My mom was so sad when I stopped singing, right? But it was within me that I had to dive in and get that. It didn't, I mean, she was so supportive. Wasn't like anybody was, I, I couldn't have had more support for my art. I didn't have the tools to navigate that. So when I thought through to my own kids and thought, what do, what do I want you, what kind of life do I want you to live? And I'd been thinking about how free I was when I was young. And now I have this little being who's just come into the world so free and has all this opportunity to have them. I thought, how do I, how do I model that for them? Like if I want them to continue to have that, I have to model it, which means I kind of had to go backwards And so when I think about this heart's journey, I had to remember how to listen to my heart. And that was hard. There was a lot of walls I had built up through the years from society, from my own decisions, from my own fear of being too vulnerable. But I had to start to kind of like break down one at a time and open new little doors into places that I had been afraid to kind of walk into. I call it my basement. Like that part where you're like, you know, in the beginning it was hard to even acknowledge there was a door to the basement. Then I could open the door to the basement. Then I could walk down the steps. Then I could open the boxes of things that were important that I looked at so that I could be free, whether that was my competitive nature and the side of it that did not serve me, whether that was my arrogance because of my insecurity, right? All of these things that took me a while to get to, but were such important parts of my journey. So in this process, I'm looking, going, okay, how do I model, how do I model freedom for my kids? How do I model being connected to your heart? And then three years later, I had my second son and it really opened up all of a sudden, all of these things started to say, okay, well, what do I really want? And what life am I going after? And it was not easy. It was a hard time where I felt like all these things I had agreed to in my life, within my marriage, within my family, within the structure of how I had been working, I was now deciding didn't fit for me anymore. And that was terrifying. And what got me through that is that I started to write poetry. And the poetry was really just me writing these things to remind myself that I could do it. That's kind of how it started. Like, okay, you know, you feel like this, you feel like this, but there's light on the other side. I remember just writing these poems and be like, okay. And then one day, I was driving and this poem kind of came into my head, but it had a tune attached to it. And I was like, oh, interesting. This feels like a song. And I was (laughs) bewildered by that because. Because it was a poem. (laughs) Yeah, it's supposed to be a poem. And I'd never written a song before. And so I, I played with it and then I wrote it down. I was like, okay, what, what? I didn't know what the structure of a song should be. I didn't know. I had never gone to school to be a musician or a songwriter. So I kind of just took what I knew from listening to music and kind of said, okay, I think this is the chorus part. I think this is the verse one. And I just put it together. And then I remember having lunch with my friend and I felt so vulnerable and I had my little, you know, journal. And I said, I think I wrote a song. (laughs) 
<laughs> did you okay. did you feel like you had to whisper it to her? <laughs> I did. It was like, don't tell anyone because I'm not qualified for this, obviously. Um, and so I wrote this, so I sang it to her and she's like, that's a song. And I was like, okay, great. I got like validated. Like, great. I'm not, I didn't make that up. It is a song. She's like, you should record that. And I remember thinking like, that is crazy. Like, <laughs> no, like I'm 37 at the time you write and record songs when you're in your twenties. Like everybody knows that, you know, you don't do that when you're in your like almost the late thirties. And then I remember this very clear thought coming through, which was right now you're saying I should have done it when I was in my twenties, but what if one day you're 60 and say, I should have done it when I was in my forties. And it made me go, okay, just follow this. Someone just told you to record it. It's exciting to you and terrifying to you. So just follow it and see where it takes you. And so it led me to, you know, a producer that I like, of course, met through recruiting because that's what I do. And the universe sends you people in funny ways to make sure you connect with them. And I literally, my expectation was on that first day when I met with him that I was going to record the song and I was going to be able to check it off my list and say, look at that. I recorded a song. Good for me. I did this thing that was scary. And so I went in there and it was, I was so nervous singing to this guy who knows what he's doing. And I felt like this person who did not know what I was doing. (laughs) And then I watched myself have a blast. I had so much fun. I was singing and he was, he really took me seriously. So it made me feel like, well, maybe I am a singer songwriter. Like, I don't know. And let's just tease that apart a little bit because you said you started, you were so nervous, but then you watched yourself really enjoying it and having fun. So what do you think was the differentiator there? He was like, oh, this is a, this is a singer songwriter. She's come to me. She's written a song and I'm going to meet her and we're going to create this together. Like he had none of the old baggage that I had. (laughs) And so in his reflection back to me, all of a sudden, I was like, maybe I am a singer songwriter. You know, I had this whole list of like, well, I'm not because of this and this and this and this. I'm really just, you know, imposter syndrome. Like, why am I even here? Why would this person even want to meet with me and record my music? And so it was that reflection of him just going, oh, you know, you are where you are and, and loving what I was creating and being so passionate about it. Is he created this space for me to be passionate about it. And then I saw myself be passionate and I was like, oh, okay. And then we could do this and, oh, this is fun. And I just remember when I left there, I was high. I was high on this, like tapping back into my heart is what I'd call it. Like my heart was alive and it felt so like in its best rhythm when I was in that session. And so I went away from that and then I had had so much fun. I was like, well, I do have this other song. Maybe I should record that too. Like in a really low whisper, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's a little bit of a whisper this time. (laughs) A little bit more. And then the third song, we get to the fourth song where I'm starting to record with him. He's like, are we recording an album? I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe we're recording an album. (laughs) It's so funny to even just own that, right? And then this idea. So each of those little pieces I needed to kind of take in its own form to be able to kind of step into the bigger one. But then all of a sudden, here we were, I was recording an album. And so it took me about three years to record that album. I was terrified to put it into the world for all of those same reasons. Yeah. Like I had this idea that, you know, you, you were back to be, yeah, you're back to yeah. be that 12 year old on the stage in front of your, yeah. your schoolmates, yeah. right? What if people hate it? And so in essence, I put it out into the world. It was like, I could remember just feeling my heartbeat and this like sense of like, oh my God, I'm really doing this. But it was 
so important for me to do it because at that time with my music, I was so critical. I would listen to it and I'd be like, oh, I should have sang better there. And oh, that part, I sound a little bit flat. And oh, you know, I would just pick it apart. And I felt like in the, that part of my journey, this kind of speaks to the imperfectly imperfect that, that you guys talk about on a regular basis is that it was so important. I knew it was more important for me to get that album out as an imperfect thing than to wait for it to be perfect and put it into the world. Like that there was a bigger learning for me to just do it and go open-hearted and just be vulnerable and put it out there. And it was, when you say it was, it was all of those things. It was perfect and imperfect, or I'm just curious when you say it was, what were all the wases? And I know that's bad grammar. It was empowering to put something out in the world that I hadn't decided was perfect. It was empowering to be so vulnerable that people could hate it. I thought I was still allowing myself to put it out there anyways. Um, it felt so much stronger and so much connected to my heart and my purpose to just do something because my heart was telling me to than to do something because I controlled all the potential variables and had decided that the risk was worth it, right? Like to just do it and put it out there felt so empowering. And simultaneously, I had a lot of expectations on that first album. Like, God, this was terrifying and such a big deal. And this better be huge because I went through a lot of work to do this. And in my idea of what huge was as a musician, it's like, you know, Beyonce calling me and saying, let's go and tune it. I heard your songs and it's incredible. And so I then, after putting it into the world, really had to own a sense of disappointment because of my own expectations of what I thought it should be in order to be valid. And I had to navigate through that. And that disappointment took me down the path of, well, why did I create this? Was it because I was only creating it so I could make a ton of money or that I could go on tour? No, I was creating this because it was about allowing my heart to shine. And then that took me down this next path of, I want to talk about this. I feel so much more empowered as an employee and a mom and a friend and a sister, because I'm not hiding a really big part of me anymore. Like I, it wasn't just about putting the music in the world and having people love it. It was about me just showing up as the biggest version of myself in that moment and being willing to own it. And I saw that transfer into a variety of different areas of my life and I was just better. And so then I started saying, I want to talk more about this. And I want to speak to people about this. And then I started attracting speaking engagements about, you know, owning your story and owning all of it and having it not be perfect. And I started writing additional music, which is, you know, kind of where we are today. I'm launching a new album called Brave and there's three songs on it. And they are so deeply connected to my heart and what I want to put into the world that I'm beyond excited. Awesome. Yeah. By the time this podcast drops, it'll be officially out in the world. And we're going to put in our show notes, our listeners can find that music, but you know, Bridget, I just love what you're saying here about, it was less about Beyonce calling, although Beyonce, if you're listening, I'll I'll give you Bridget's (laughs) number. Well, because we're pretty sure Beyonce listens to our podcast. So I'm sure she will get that message loud and clear. (laughs) But it, it became less about that and more about really just being, you know, showing up and being your bright, really authentic self. And so I love that your realization there led to some speaking engagements and some other things. And 
I'm curious when you can drop some of the, I wrote down, I mean, you had a lot of have tos and shoulds in, in yeah. especially the earlier part of your story. And, and I'm wondering once you were able to drop some of that, what were the other implications for your life? How, how else did things change when you can move away from some of those have tos and shoulds? It significantly strengthened my marriage. Mm. I had built an idea of what I thought my marriage should be like. And for your wife to go off and just create an album out of nowhere when she's never sang before while she has two babies and you're navigating just the struggle of having two babies together. And at the time, like a young, super high energy dog, we just had so much on our plates that for me to add recording an album to that, I really had to get clear on my why. And even if I couldn't articulate it, it was I could feel my heart calling me to it. And I was able to express that within my marriage. I was able to express that within my family dynamics and within my friendships. And then it empowered me to be able to speak my voice more at work. So I found that there was almost this cycle happening. Like the more that I was willing to sing and allow people to hear me sing, even when I didn't hit all the right notes exactly perfectly, but the more I was like opening my voice up, like I watched the cycle start to happen. And then I could say the things that were maybe harder for me to say in difficult relationships, stand up for the things that I needed in order to empower me at work. Like I just found that this cycle continued to kind of happen. And then I could sing more easily. My voice would open. I could sing more easily without judging myself as much. So it found like it just kind of kept going and empowering all of it. And I continue to do that on a regular basis is the more that I can use my voice in its truth and with love and compassion for what it is I'm talking about. It just keeps allowing me more and more freedom and getting me back to that heart-centered place. I love the phrase you just used about hitting all the right notes perfectly because it's such a great metaphor for life as well. And as you were telling your story, I had this very vivid image in my mind of you cracking open the basement door and there's spiders and there's cobwebs and there's creepy crawly things down there and like slamming the door and opening the door and slamming the door. But what I really saw in my mind, of course, not because I wasn't there, but saw you descending those stairs and your heart and your fear almost engaged in mortal combat. Fear like, you know, hold back, hold back, hold back. You don't want to be judged. You want to hit all the notes perfectly. And your heart saying, this is bullshit, right? Like you get to shine. <laughs> you get to be who you are. And it's such a beautiful story around how as you started letting your heart drive the car as opposed to your fear drive the car, everything changed. I had kept those boxes, I mean, that door and those boxes so tightly closed because I wanted on the outside for everyone to see how together I was and how amazing I was and how you should love me because I don't do anything wrong, which is not accurate. And <laughs> just like, I mean, just like Sherry and I, we are absolutely perfect. Glad we are three perfect I know, people. We on this almost called today. our podcast, the perfectly perfect journey, but then we realized maybe, maybe some <laughs> other people That's aren't right. perfect. Right? right. But then it's in the process of going, Okay, each time I would open a new box and be willing to look at that and love myself anyways, right? And love the arrogance. The arrogance was a really hard one for me. Like that that covered up my insecurity. It was a way to cover up my insecurities. Mm. And 
once I just saw it and was able to like work through it and love it, I can look in that box now and smile and be like, oh, I know you. Here you come. Here you are again. (laughs) Oh, I love you. You come sometimes when I'm my most like insecure and I love you and thank you for being here. And you don't serve me in the situation. So I'm just going to honor that, right? Like the boxes are open now and I can go in and look around and smile and say hi and choose not to use those tools in there. But I, you know, it also has helped me. The only way I could build bigger toolbox that I have was being willing to look at all of that. So I like the the vision of the creepy crawlies and I can just see like the light coming in and (laughs) shining in there and get rid of it all. But it's so important. I mean, to Sherry's point, like it is so important to go and open up some of those, as you call them, boxes, right? Those things we all have in our lives that we sort of push away. We don't want to see. They're not our prettiest parts of ourselves. And we kind of push them down. But the fact is, it was only when you started dealing with some of those, the basement and the creepy crawlies and the boxes, et cetera, that really led to some of, you know, big, huge openings for you. It's literally the only way that I've been able to write music. It's been through that practice and those realizations of kind of going, oh, here you go again, you know, and some of my songs like, Mm. you know, here I go again. I'm like, my mind is spinning. I'm trying to check off my list of to-dos. I'm going, I'm running. I'm trying to figure out how to get it all done perfectly. And I'm exhausted. And so here's the light. Here's what it is. Like, I can't write songs that aren't about this journey. I mean, I'm sure I could, but I'm mostly inspired by writing songs about that because that's what I believe it's all about is being willing to look and learn and love yourself and then step into your bigger light and shine it. That's beautiful. So you talked about having some tools that help you or helped you kind of look at those boxes and then help continue to help you on a regular basis. What are some of those tools? How do you, how did you get brave enough to kind of look at the boxes and then how do you stay really centered? Because it's really easy to slide back into some of the things, you know, the arrogance or the, the shunning things, not looking at them. So, so what are the things you do to help keep you grounded? A breathing and meditation practice is a way for me to slow my mind which is very fast and very exciting in there, but can very much distract me. <laughs> so this meditation practice, this just grounding into the earth, this opening my heart, just the think, thinking about those things. I'm opening my heart. I'm connecting in with the ground. I'm closing my eyes. I'm breathing slower. Just those things get me so in my body and then allow me to kind of think like, what am I actually experiencing in this moment? What am, what am I really trying to learn mm. from this situation that has got me either feeling more manic or anxiety driven, or that I'm beating myself up about something that it's that piece to kind of say like, what is this really about bridge? And then it allows me that space to do that. And then um, it's kind of the other thing is really tied to my body. Like when when I can be in my body, then I can also think about like, what brings my body joy? Singing brings my body joy. Dancing brings my body joy. Mm. Swimming brings my body joy. Moving it and walking and tuck for hugging. I love hugging. COVID was very difficult for me. <laughs> Bridget. Bridget is a great oh, I love it so much. For the and record. it was so hard not to, I mean, obviously my son and my boys got a lot of hugs during that year, but um recognizing like, what are the physical things that bring me joy and fill me up? Because I'm a, I am a physical being, right. And I want to tap into those. And then the last thing that I tell myself, and I said it a little bit in my story, which is my mantra is once I can get quieted and listen in, like 
what's this really about? And if it's something that's coming up that terrifies me and simultaneously excites me, my agreement I made with myself now 10 years ago is I have to do it. There's no anything. So I make Mm. myself do it. Like if I'm, and it's obviously not like extremely dangerous, (laughs) um, but I do it. And that's been something that I've kind of created is this agreement with myself to say, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't actually feel prepared. I'm going to do it anyways. I do love that. You didn't call it a mantra, but I do love this idea of like, do it anyway, because I'm, there's such a through line from where you started your story as being 12 years old and standing on that stage and having that be the start of your process of shoving yourself down, making yourself smaller, hiding parts of you, and how that through line then fall. And we all have a story like that, or just about everybody I know has a story like that of some moment, right, where you decided, I'm not making myself vulnerable like this ever again right? Even though we have slightly Mm -hmm. different words. And that moment of coming out on the other end and saying, I'm not doing that to myself anymore. And yes, fear is going to still come up and I'm going to still be freaked out at the idea of doing something, but I'm going to do it anyway is just such a, I mean, I just think that's a mantra for life that so many of us could stand to live by. Well, and then there's also just for expectation's sake, when you say it the first time and you do it, the level of fear is significantly higher than when you say it for the hundredth time and you do it because you've then gone, you've, you've been practicing it, right? So it's a little bit easier every time. It's like, you can still feel like the parts of your body that get activated when you're nervous or scared, but you now know that you can do these things. And so it gets easier and easier. So I also want to say that like in the beginning, it might be really, really hard, <laughs> I love this because uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had an episode on authenticity, and that was one of Sherry's really great ideas is you start small and don't expect it to be easy at first, right? But you start small, you take that first step, and then you know, yeah. then the next step gets a little bit easier. And sometimes it's two steps mm-hmm. forward and one back. That's okay. There's still some forward progress and shifting in the way that we think about some of these things that sometimes scare us. I took a yoga class yesterday, and she said something that it was a virtual one. And she said something that so resonated with me. And I was like, this feels about what, like what we're going to talk about tomorrow. She said, remember that a little bit of the pose is still the pose. Just a little bit mm. of the pose is still the pose. That and so, so it's that same thing, right? Where me going, this might be a song. So I'm going to go and record this one song was a little bit of the pose. It wasn't like, I'm going to record an album and then I'm going to record another album. Like I couldn't have gone there because I didn't have space for that then. Well, it even started slower, right? It started with you having lunch with your friend. Like, is this <laughs> exactly. <a> right. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and so, I mean, it's that, it's those baby steps. And the other thing is really paying attention when you get those signs, if you will. Right. So somebody else might have a poem or a tune or whatever drop into their head and it kind of like goes in one year and out the other. But for you, there was resonance there and you held on to it because it was something that was meaningful to you. And I think that's also tricky at times. Like I've got a lot of stuff going on in my head too, but figuring out what's really meaningful at times can be hard. What do you think about that? Are there ways that you, you, you admitted that like, there's lots of stuff going on in that beautiful brain of yours, but how, how do you grab onto the things that actually are, are helping you or in service to you it, in some way? It is through the practices. It's come back to my heart and hearing my heart. 
And so when my heart Mm. is a strong, yes, I can now feel that. I didn't used to be able to feel that because now if we go back, right. When I was a little girl, I knew what a strong yes in my heart was. And then I like slowly went like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And then I forgot. I mean, we had how many years from the age of 12 to 37, 25 years of me not listening to my heart very well. And so I had to relearn how to listen to it. And I had to relearn what it was saying. And now I can feel when something is a yes for me. And I follow that. And I trust, even if it falls apart that I was supposed to be in it. Now I tell myself, well, I'm learning. That's what this is. <laughs> Look, I'm growing. I'm growing and learning because I'm having a really hard time with this one. And so it's that connection to my heart that just is my guiding force now. And I don't think everybody has to go through such a long journey to get back to their heart, but that's what it is, is connecting back in there. And I think the truth is many, many of us have to go through that really long journey to get back to our hearts, you know, (laughs) because journeys of different lengths. There's so many messages out in the world about who we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to do and what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. And we take these messages in when we're like really young and we don't have the discernment to be able to know that, yeah, I could make a different choice here, right? Like, oh, I have the confidence to not fit in with the other 12-year-old girls. My God, that feels like a fate worse than death when you're, you know, a tween or a teen, right? And so (laughs) it's, I just love how you are describing these practices you have to really cultivate the ability to hear your heart. Because it really sounds like that is the crux of it. That's what allows you to tune out the rest of the chatter. I had this moment, my, my sister called me the other day and she said, you know, my niece loves my first album and she's, they had to go on a long drive and she put the, you know, the CD in and they were listening to it. And she told my sister, she goes, I really wish Auntie B was famous because her songs are really good. And this would be good for people. And it was, but it was that innocence of the, like, she doesn't have a lot of stuff built up around why it could or not be like, she was just very clearly like, I love my aunt's music. I wish more people could listen to it. And there's so much freedom in that she's 10, right? Like there's so much freedom in that ability to just look at it that way that I sometimes tell people I'm going, I'm trying to learn how to like age backwards. I mean, obviously I can't like physically, but mentally age backwards to that freedom of my heart. I think you're really hitting on something because there there are things that we all do and collect that serve us at the time in some way, but they end up building this wall around us, right? So, so maybe there was something about that 12 year old girl to Sherry's point, you know, that's, that's a very tender age. So there was something about needing to protect herself in some way. So maybe it served you in some way, but, but then what happens is that it kind of morphs and becomes this almost solid wall that it becomes impenetrable until we start taking the bricks down. And what I hear you talking about is by tapping into your heart, by really paying attention to grounding and, and finding your place on the earth, right? You are able to start taking some of those bricks down and uh, being closer to that lovely 10 year old uh, niece that you have and, and her bright-eyed look at the world. And I, I just think that's so inspirational. So I'm a little curious if you could hearken back to that 12-year-old girl standing on the stage being a little bit nervous. Is there any advice you might give to her? 
like many other guests that you guys have had, I wouldn't change a thing, right? Like I wouldn't change any second of it. I think that the reason I write the songs that I write is because of the journey that I've been on. So I don't actually want to change it, but I would want to whisper in her ear and just say like, your light's your light. You can't change it. You can't hide it. Like you can build up walls around it and you can try and like cover yourself in all of the shit of the world, but your light is still your light and it's going to be there bright and shining for whenever you're ready to go back and let it shine. And there's some freedom in that, that you get to go down whatever path you want. It's your choice to shine your light or not shine your light. And so if you get to a point as a 37, 47, 57 year old person, and you're like, I don't feel in alignment with my heart, like your light's still there, ready to shine the same brightness that it did when you were a free little kid. And so that's what I'd say. Can't hide it. It's in there. It's always going to shine bright. It's just ready for you to allow it to. Brave women speak. Share your story. Brave women speak. Share your story with me. Here I am living and I hit a wall. I hit a wall. I hit a wall. Find I'm frozen. I'm afraid to fall. I'm afraid to fall. I'm afraid to fall. Phone is ringing. I pick up the call. Pick up the call. Pick up the call. You just heard a beautiful snippet from Bridget's second album, Brave, which was just released. And it seemed like the perfect coda to this idea that there's a light in there and it's your choice to shine it. We'll have all the info on where to find Bridget's music in the show notes. And that wraps up our episode for today. As always, thanks for joining us. And please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. Find yourself living and you stumble in